Uh, welcome back to Office Ladies, uh, you know, where we uh, re-watch an episode of The Office every week and uh, talk about it. And I'm Angela Kinsey. And uh, yeah, no, actually, um, you know, thank you. Uh, thank you for again tuning into Lupine Transmissions, where we talk about all things strange, dark and unusual. This week, we have a uh, both figuratively and literally very big subject to talk about. And uh, I've got a very special guest to help me do that. Uh, uh, Will, in- introduce yourself. Tell, tell us about yourself and what you do. Hi, I am Will West. I am, what do I do? I'm, I'm a big pop culture fan. I like to ramble and blog and talk and do anything about pop culture, whether that's comics or wrestling or music or TV, just anything that people are talking about, I like to kind of ramble about too. And today we're talking about wrestling, which yes. I used to love. <laughs> well, I, th- I think I think Will's almost selling himself a little short here because he's been like a pop culture blogger for the better part of twenty years at this point, going back to, if I recall correctly, Live Journal and so on. So, you know, if if you like Dinosaur Dracula and uh, sites like that, you know, uh, you, you certainly owe a debt of you, uh, grat. Sorry, a debt of gratitude to Will as well, too, because he's uh, very much a pioneer of that kind of mold, I think. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's some <laughs> good company to be in, you know? Yeah, I've, I've been doing this since 2003. Yeah. And it's the site has been called different things. When it started, it was the world according to a Russian exchange student because I was an exchange student to the former Soviet Union when I was 13. And then I had somebody that I hosted and I had this kind of like performance art thing of like, I'm going to write about like how Sergei would experience things. And that lasted for like a week. (laughs) because I couldn't keep it up and so then it turned into um williambrucewest.com and now it's westweekever.com but it's constantly evolving but it's been around in some form or fashion for a better part of 20 years I don't Um, know how to quit anything (laughs) (laughs) I probably should because the blog is dead according to most people but I don't know how to quit yeah no I I don't I don't really buy that either. Like, I think there's always going to be, you know, like, I, I, like, I'm not a big fan of like Vice, right? You know, but I think like Vice have proven there's still that interest in long form writing if it's presented in the right way and if you got a kind of gonzo enough attitude to it, which I think I think you do. Like, I mean, you know, Vice aren't uh, Vice are still too cowardly to cover like the hot mums of like Nickelodeon or something like that. <laughs> That's one of my favorite pieces. <laughs> Today we're here to talk about uh, wrestling. You know, uh, so so what's what's your kind of experience with wrestling? And and you know, were you, were you a WCW guy? Were you WWF? Like, were you, um, you know, and how did you get introduced to it? Like, what what was your backstory with it? Well. I got into it like a lot of kids where like I would watch Saturday morning cartoons and then there's the joke that like you always knew cartoons were over where either Soul Train came on or wrestling came on. (laughs) Like that was that was the indicator of like, okay, kids, you're done. We're done with you. So like 
I was a wrestling guy. We we would have WWF superstars and WWF challenge. And th- those were the good old days when like people are spoiled now. Like you turn on three hours of Raw and mm. you get a guy who's like important versus a guy who's important. Where back in the superstar days, it was guy who's important versus jobber. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, local, local come... competitor will like you know? <laughs> enhancement talent. Yeah. <laughs> but like if you saw the ultimate warrior going up against like Kip Stevens, you yeah. knew who was gonna win. Yeah. You know, so like that was what I was used to, and I watched it every week. I was really like, this is the era of like tatanka and crush mm, and mm. and who we're talking about today the undertaker <laughs> <laughs> so that was like that was how i got into it and then my family's from alabama so like <laughs> during the summers we would go south and I would see like all this wrestling that you didn't necessarily see where I'm from. Um, Cause I'm in the DC area in, mm, in mm. America, but. Um, so, so, so you would have been getting, because uh, for international listeners, like a lot of, even up until the early nineties, a lot of wrestling broadcasting was uh, localized in the States. So like in the, to speak very generally in like a lot of the Northern States, like, you know, New York and, Washington and stuff, you'd get, you know, WWF and maybe WCW, but then down south, you get like Memphis wrestling and stuff like that, wouldn't you? Or? You would get that and you would get like NWA mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So, like, and to add to it, my cousin was a wrestler. Um, oh, wow. He. His name was Charlie Cook. He played football for a while and then he wrestled and he went against guys like Coco Beware and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But like, I think he was in NWA, but like, I think you would still kind of like it was the era before flashy stage names, but he Mm. still probably was enhancement talent. (laughs) Like I never got to see him wrestle. It was like he had left that life behind by the time (laughs) I came along. But like with him, I would always watch the Southern stuff. So I always kind of called it like hillbilly wrestling because you didn't really have to be in shape and you just like in some gymnasium somewhere. You'd see the, You'd see the ugliest man alive, like come out, and he'd, he's like Charlie Handsome Nash or something like that. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So, like that's the stuff I would watch, and then up until let's see, I think it was around '94, superstars so, just disappeared. Like, yeah, because Raw Raw came along. Because so. Raw came along, mm. I didn't grow up with cable. So mm-hmm. my wrestling fandom ends at 94. Like I didn't, I missed, <laughs> I check back in every now and then just to understand like who the people are or put like faces to the figures I see in the toy aisle. But like, I've missed so many important eras. I missed the entire attitude era. 
I, I don't know. I don't know why Stone Cold is considered important. <laughs> I, I didn't, but but I came back during the invasion era. So like I, I I understand like WCW coming over and that kind of thing. And then I left and I missed all of Cena. I don't know why Cena's important. But then I came back <laughs> when like The Rock would pop in every now and then. Like, yeah. He was yeah. Already making movies but not like blockbusters stuff like the mummy <laughs> you know so i've been a very casual fan for like the past 25 years but like the first 15 years of my life i was really into it yeah for myself it was kind of um like uh, I, th- I think i would have been in my first year of high school so this was like 1998 and um some guy came to school and he was like oh have you like watch wrestling you know and i was like i was familiar with who like hulk hogan and andre the giant were because they're just sort of you know they're larger than life cultural figures and so I was kind of like, oh, you mean like Hulk Hogan and whatnot? And they're like, no, nah, Hulk Hogan's lame. Like, you know, this this is much cooler. Like, he's this stone-cold Steve Austin guy. And um, I was kind of like, okay, he's a bald dude who, like, the stunner was amazing. Like, I, I can't, even now I can't dispute how cool the stunner is. But, uh, but yeah, there was definitely that aspect of uh, I, I didn't really get him and I didn't really get The Rock. But then someone showed me The Undertaker and Mankind and – I, I was still pretty young. I wouldn't say I'd become like uh, the Tom G. Wolf I am today, but uh, you know, <laughs> definitely something about it, about those two characters pushed my buttons, and I was like, "These guys are incredible. This is a total freak show. They're just beating the shit out of each other. I I need to watch more of this." <laughs> like, um, but with that said, yeah, like I, I didn't have a huge amount of access to the product either. I think only WCW screened on free to air TV over here. And even now in, in, um, in, in cable is not something a lot of people have over here. It was like, you know, mostly mega rich people that had it um, as opposed to say in the States where it seems to be a little more, uh, n- not everyone has it obviously, but it seems a little more commonplace than it is over here. So I'd, I'd rent VHSs from the local video store and I'd rent like, you know, past Royal Rumbles. My favorite was um, there was a pay-per-view with Mankind and uh the Undertaker headlining from like 1996 called Buried Alive, where like you know mankind defeats the Undertaker and buries him alive. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, it was incredible, and like, and it's not like a technical masterpiece or anything like that, but uh, it was so good. But who who would you say is kind of on your Mount Rushmore of wrestling? Like, if you if you had to put uh, put one together, um, Undertaker. Mm. definitely um i the funny thing is i've put my like fandom behind undertaker so much that like i let other people just kind of fall by the wayside like (laughs) it, it would be undertaker and then it's like down here is like the other three people it's like Scott Hall, but only as Razor Ramon. I don't care about him as like Scott Hall. I don't sure, care about sure. him as like NWO Scott Hall. Yeah. I want Razor Ramon calling people Chico, throwing toothpicks at them. Like like him getting in the ring, taking his gold off. Something happened to this, something happened to you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, that's my Razor Ramon. Um, 
Show, show, let's not forget him showing up on Jerry Springer and giving like sick kids um, intercontinental belt replicas and stuff. I loved well. that episode <laughs> so much. Um, but yeah, it's like Razor Ramon, Undertaker. It, this is going to disappoint a lot of people because when you say like Mount Rushmore, it's like the best wrestlers. But to me, it's like the people who've like entertained me the most. Yeah, like, I, I would, Rick, I would agree with that. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, Rick Flair. You know, oh, yeah, like yeah. you can't, you can't, like, despite his real world troubles, like you can't discount the the years of entertainment he's given us. Rick, Rick is an is an interesting one for me because by the time I was sort of interested in wrestling, um, he was kind of this old man. <laughs> like, and he, oh, yeah. he was he wasn't that old in hindsight he was probably about 45 or something like that but time um had not time in time in the tanning bed had not been terribly kind to him <laughs> and so oh, it's kind I, of I, like who's this out of shape said, guy <laughs> oh yeah my entire life he's been built like a chicken cutlet like, yeah right right just, he's just but like he's still he's rick flair he's woo yeah know? yeah um and then my fourth person the problem is like I latch on to some of the worst wrestlers and then like nothing becomes of them or like they become these laughing stocks. And it's like, really, Will, you you were into that? Like, I was a big Brodus Clay fan. I'm oh, not yeah. Well, say- he, had, he had a great look. Like, you know, yeah, he was, uh, you know, I see why. And, like, and he yeah. went crazy, like <laughs> Taker, as we'll talk about. But, but yeah, like, so my Mount Rushmore has the three. Mm, <laughs> like, mm. Mine, mine, I think, would be um, uh, I'd got to go Bret Hart. Um, I got to go uh, Macho Man, uh, Mick Foley. Uh, pro- probably is Mankind. That's my favorite Mick Foley, and then then Undertaker. Uh, but uh, yeah, the. I, I think, but some of those are definitely retrospective appreciations. Like, because Macho Man was over in WCW when I was a little kid, and like, you know, I we didn't watch WCW because of you know WWF propaganda brainwashed us to think it was all crap. But uh, right. you know, obviously uh, having the network now, I've gone back and watched a lot more, and I'm like, oh no, like there was a lot of silly nonsense, but yeah, there was some genuinely good stuff in WCW back in the day. So I think my fourth though would be triple h i have a weird respect for hunter like just because i remember back in his blue blood days of hunter hurst helmsley oh yeah and he he definitely (laughs) his evolution and then the pedigree is such a terrible move like it, it no wonder he's been injured as much as he has because it's a move that just tortures the person doing it but i have to respect him for that he does it for the entertainment value you know, though, uh, one of my mates did it to his little brother on the trampoline when we were kids, and he actually knocked his brother out. <laughs> so, so you do it wrong, and uh, yeah, it's it's it, like yeah, it's very it's very tough on the the person doing it in the sense that they're the ones dropping to their knees, and you know, like when you're a when you're a hundred plus kilos, like yeah, that that puts a strain on you for sure. But um, yeah, no, if you do it wrong, like there, there can be some real world consequences. When did you find out it was a work? Like, uh, you know, when were you in on it straight away, or like? Uh... Oh, I was that guy who like it was. 
it wasn't until like wrestling secrets revealed which i think was like a fox special <laughs> yeah, in yeah, the yeah. early 2000s where i was like oh so the tables are particle board like I, <laughs> I i bought into it like i'm that guy who's like it's still real to me <laughs> I think, um, I, I mean, I think part of it was because I came to it slightly older, you know, I was already 12 or 13. Um, I, I never, uh, I always knew it wasn't, uh, I, I always knew it was predetermined. Like, uh, I, don't, I don't like people saying, oh, it's not yes. real because like the exactly. risk is real and this, that, and the other. But, um, yeah, I would have been, a, yeah. And I remember dad's, dad actually used to watch quite a lot of wrestling because we had a big Australian federation in the, um, in the 60s and the 70s and a lot of american guys came over like andre came and wrestled in sydney um a few of those other sort of old guys like harley race and stuff came and did performances here um and uh even even the guy who trained mick foley was like a big star over here as a as a wrestler back in the 70s like he was this italian american guy whose name escapes me at the moment but um but yeah so dad was kind of like look you know this is all like a show right <laughs> and i was like did didn't did people know back then he's like everyone knew like he just didn't talk about it it's like going to a magic show or something like so right i get really annoyed when i see like jim Cornette. like um jim Cornette's like oh uh yeah yeah I, d- I didn't know it was all fake till i was 15 and then i was doing photography and they brought me into the business a little bit and i'm like are you lying or like right, i'm not right. sure if he's trying to build his own cafe brand himself there or what the story is but uh, um I, I didn't have like a strong male role model to like explain it to me <laughs> so like my mom was one of those who was just like oh that's not real but like i would ask my cousin because i mean he did it and he would never answer no, oh, <laughs> like of course, like, because he was it, protecting the business, you know. And he like would that. just kind of smirk. And so, like, <laughs> I it, I was very, like, that and Santa. I was much older than you probably should be. <laughs> Chasing those things. Today's subject, Mark Calloway, uh, the red-headed stranger, better known as the dead man to uh, to millions around the world. Like, um, let's take a bit of a walk through his life uh, before he became uh, before he became the phenom. Um, so, uh, Mark Calloway was born in Texas on March twenty. 20- Actually, it's his birthday today, um, as as we're recording. Like, uh, which wasn't planned, but um, yeah, happy birthday, Mark! Uh, Fifty-seven years old today. So, uh, yeah, he was born in Texas on March 24th, 1965 in Houston. Now, he was the youngest of four brothers. Um, we don't know heaps about his childhood, but he seems to have had a pretty happy upbringing from everything he's kind of said. Um, he was a big wrestling fan, um, but he also played basketball at both high school and college level. So he was he was pretty, you know, he was obviously good. Like, you know, you need to, uh, like playing at high school, sure, that's great. But playing at college level, you've got to have a certain, you know, borderline professional level of dedication to, to it at that point. Um, and for a brief period, he actually was going uh, pro in Europe um, before he started wrestling. Um, and so perhaps in a, in a, cause he's about the right age, perhaps in a slightly, uh, different universe he's up there with like michael jordan and larry bird and so on it's <laughs> one of the big nba stars of the 90s like oh i got a mark calloway rookie <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. 
He's, wow, that uh, that ginger guy, like he's uh, he's sure is something, you know. Like um, but yeah, it's not uh, not totally surprising that he got uh, picked up as a wrestling prospect because I mean he was a young, athletic, muscular guy who was more than two meters tall. Um, you know, I think uh, that those are all going to put you at a big advantage. I think, like, um, I went to. Uh, I'm I'm nowhere near as tall as Mark. I'm like about just a shade over six four. But I mean. I've been to a couple of indie wrestling shows and I'm easily the biggest person in the room there. And I'm kind of like, oh, the, you know, the, the, the big man in wrestling is kind of a, feels like it's a bit of a dying art, I think. Um, but uh, so he's, he's pretty open about having a tough time getting a look in. Like Texas is a big wrestling state, but he gives the impression it was also a pretty close shop just from interviews I've, I've read with him or listened to. Um, you know, he talks about having to hang out at the wrestling gym for about nine months before they'd kind of say, hey, do you want to try some moves in the ring and that sort of thing? Uh, but he did eventually break in. He debuted in 1986 and he worked for a few different promotions under under <laughs> absolute rubbish names like um, Texas Red, uh, the Master of Pain. <laughs> A commando um and eventually after working for a few of these promotions he wound up in wcw where he became uh the legendary mean mark callus uh, <laughs> which was a name given to him by uh terry funk of all people so uh terry's done a lot of good for wrestling but i don't think that was his best work i have to say <laughs> <laughs> um so he, you can go and watch some of his matches from this period on um, on the WWE Network, and you can see some of his older matches too. Like you might have even seen the photo of him and Scott Hall back in the day together, um, before Scott was even. Uh, I think they were the NWA or something like that. And Scott Hall's got his big porn star moustache and everything, like. <laughs> um, and and marks this sort of redheaded doofus in the middle of the ring, like in just a black t-shirt and black trunks, like um, huge, huge local competitor vibes kind of thing. <laughs> so he stayed there for a while and got a decent push. Like he had some matches with some of the big names like Sting and so on. Um, so, you know, like he, w- but Ollie Anderson, who was the head booker at the time, when his contract was coming up, he kind of pulled him aside and said, look, you're really athletic, but no one's ever going to pay you money to see you wrestle. Um, and, you know, you, you got to hand it to Ollie Anderson. He's never met a wrestler he couldn't fuck up and you know, do, a bad, do a bad job by, you know. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, then he kind of said, look, he... And, I, and, and look, to be fair to Ollie Anderson, I kind of get it. Like, he, he's a big guy. Like, he's a muscular guy. He's very athletic. He can do some really cool stuff, but he doesn't have that... He's not a great... He, he's not, He's fine as a talker but he's not amazing and he you know when you're surrounded by like sting and rick flair and and those kind of guys who were all the big stars at the time like it would have absolutely been difficult to get a look in i think like uh, you know rick and sting like uh well you know they both got charisma in spades however i might feel about kind of rick flair's personal life um but uh yeah, so then in uh, 1990, so he, he got signed up by the WWF and um, he made his official debut at SummerSlam 1990 as Kane the Undertaker. Um, they dropped that Kane part pretty quickly on all the home releases and reruns that got dubbed over as just the Undertaker. 
Um, but he made his actual debut just a, just a few days prior to taping of WWF superstars that would air, I think, a month or two later, you know. Um, and it's uh, – have you seen the footage of when he debuted at All Will? Like, I have. Yeah. It's – the kids look terrified, like, <laughs> in the audience. Like, the he's – and I, I kind of get it. Like, he's such a contrast to, like, you know, Ultimate Warrior or Hulk Hogan or, like – macho man like he he's just you know he's he's like nothing else they had at the time i don't think like <laughs> he's that's why i love him because he's he was like nothing else at the time then mm. and he's like nothing else at the time now mm. you know mm. like it, it's just people forget like you get into the whole cycle of like oh it's not real and blah 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 mm. but they forget how he was packaged in the beginning mm. like mm. one of the mm. things that really hit home for me was when he would go against the local talent yes. he would put <laughs> them in body bags <laughs> He was he was murdering these middle-aged men in the ring. Yeah, and just uh and carrying their corpses away from the <laughs> away from the arena. That was what was happening, and that terrified me. Yeah, and his his initial manager was Brother Love, who um I don't know, I kind of hate Brother Love. I think he sucks. Like and and I don't like Bruce Pritchard very much either, <laughs> to be honest, the guy who plays him he made me uncomfortable yeah brother love was just he was too red he just he just oh. got a ugh, it's just too red he's a heart attack waiting to happen that guy like the, oh, yeah. <laughs> um but they they swapped him out for uh paul bearer very quickly um you know who's in real life his name was percy pringle and and a real life mortician too i don't, I don't know if you knew that i didn't know till fairly recently but uh he did actually used to run a funeral home in real life <laughs> I did not know that. No, <laughs> um, but Paul Paul Bearer, when you when you kind of describe him to non wrestling fans, he sounds like he should be the silliest thing ever. But he is he is horrifying. Like, uh, yeah, he is he is a better horror villain than most sort of of the big slashes i would say like you know he's yeah so he was a good match um yeah he was this little uh chubby man who would sort of carry undertaker's urn out and it, it was sort of implied he controlled undertaker through the urn I, I don't think they ever fleshed that out completely but that that seemed to be the what i've picked up over the years like uh, i think the mythos is pretty loose there but um, right right yeah but um I would say the, f the first few years of his career are kind of a mixed bag. Like he, he's uh, Undertaker is a really good technical wrestler and he's got a huge amount of mobility, particularly considering how big he is. Um, but because it was the early nineties, Vince really seemed interested in having him as like a big man who would either squash jobbers or who would, uh, you know, go up against even bigger men. So, you know, he'd kind of like take, this is from what I've seen going back on the network, but share your thoughts too will like you know he seemed to like he'd take huge amounts of punishment then he'd do one or two big moves and kind of take the match home very quickly from what i can say from what i can tell yeah it was very much like walk the ropes 
tombstone yeah, the yeah. end mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like he didn't have to do much because his entrance took like 10 minutes yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and like you would see like the fear on like poor kevin smith or whatever <laughs> the jobber's name was that week like in the middle of the ring like he can't believe what's about to happen to him and then yeah he would take some punishment he would do the sit-up <laughs> Walk the ropes, tombstone, it's over. And may, maybe the match. maybe the jumping clothesline if it was a, an especially big match or something. Right, like right. <laughs> um so the yeah, and I mean like and then then usually the pay-per-views, which were the big money makers back then, um, you know, he'd have a big man match, and one particularly bad one is him taking on giant Gonzalez. Uh <laughs> um, or you know, let's let's not forget um uh undertaker versus fake undertaker as well um you know not 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 great but um but with that said like he was still seen as a big star very quickly like he beat um jimmy superfly snooker at his uh uh, wrestlemania 7 um he ended up in this really elaborate storyline with ultimate warrior and jake the snake um and i don't know if you remember this but this is terrifying he stuffed the ultimate warrior into a coffin and like you know was nailing it shut and everything like, i remember the, that yeah uh, i mean i i was never an ultimate warrior fan uh, for many reasons like both the character and the real life guy so there was something oddly satisfying about it but uh, you know, uh, i only i only have two ultimate warrior memories and it was the one with the undertaker that we just talked about hmm. and when he went against papa shango and he oh put a yeah curse on him and he like threw up all <laughs> over the ring yes, that's all yes. i remember about ultimate warrior <laughs> uh, arguably his best moment so i yes. would you know because like, the matches oof, you know, yeah so, um but that, that storyline kind of got shut down because Ultimate Warrior was having real-life disagreements with Vince McMahon in a pattern that we, we would receive, see repeat itself many times over the years. <laughs> but, uh, but it's still a big deal considering how big a star Warrior was for the company at the time. Like, he was sort of the chosen one to, to take over, to, you know, take the mantle from Hulk Hogan. Um, so, and it also... I think in a lot of ways, like it helped establish Undertaker as like a bit of a like he he was a heel, but he wasn't he was a bit different in the sense that like he wasn't necessarily aligned with all the other heels in the company. He was a bit of a thing unto himself. Right. Um, and then, and he probably his biggest deal in that like first year that he was with the company, he actually beat Hulk Hogan for the um, uh, WWF Championship in 1991. Um, now, it wasn't a clean victory, of course, because Hogan doesn't do that. Uh, you know, like, I'm pretty sure if we were having a match with Hogan tomorrow, uh, he would refuse to lose clean, <laughs> you know? in spite of being near, you know, 70 or something. Like. Um, so Ric Flair ran interference to help Undertaker win, but it was still very impressive considering how rarely Hogan just lost in general at the time. So, um, right. and of course, Hogan being Hogan. And like, if I, I don't think I've talked about it on this podcast before, but I do not like Hulk Hogan for many reasons. <laughs> um, Hogan would later claim that the tombstone legitimately injured him <laughs> um so undertaker went back and uh in this is all in real life this was not on tv like um so undertaker went back and watched the footage of the match and uh then went back to to hogan and said look 
your your head and neck were like nowhere near the ground on that. Like that was like arguably the safest way I could have done that move. Uh, but of course, uh, Hogan, you know, made a big deal out of it. Was a huge fuss pot. But in more recent years, has claimed that he's totally responsible for the Undertaker's success, and in fact helped him get introduced to Vince McMahon. Um, which I think we can safely file in the same file that we put in the story where he was going to play bass for Metallica. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you've heard that one or not. But, I have. Uh, yeah, I it's, have. Uh, it's just you can't trust anything the man says. Like, yeah, so. <laughs> um, but interestingly, even running afoul of Hogan doesn't really seem to have hurt him backstage or anything. Like, Hogan was sort of on his way out of the company, which probably helped a bit. Um, but I think Vince was also just kind of looking for the next big star. And I think he really recognized the value that Undertaker had. So, um, yeah, so we, we're in the new generation era. Like the product shifted to become a little more kid friendly. And, you know, it's, let's not pretend it was pretty kid friendly earlier. Um, but business is down. There's been there's definitely some dud product in there. But conversely, this is also when Monday Night Raw launches, and you know Monday Night Raw is still running today. Like it's, uh, you know, next year it'll be thirty unbroken years unless it gets canned very abruptly, which doesn't seem likely. Um, and uh, Undertaker definitely had some fun, but maybe not career best matches with like um, with Karma. Uh, who would eventually become the good father, the the Godfather, um, and uh, he's he's one of the Undertaker's uh, real life best friends. Um, and he also had uh, some uh, matches with King Mabel, who I, I was always really kind of fond of Mabel and Viscera, you know. Uh, but he he wasn't a very good wrestler, and he accidentally mm-hmm. broke the Undertaker's orbital bone with one of his leg drops. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, so. Um, that's why Undertaker had that Phantom of the Opera mask for a while, basically. Um, yeah, because he like there was a, there was the character change, but there was also a legitimate need to protect his face after having uh, uh, one of uh, King Mabel's meaty thighs land on his face. <laughs> um, so, but I think here is where we maybe see. Undertaker sort of becoming a bit more interesting in the ring as opposed to visually interesting. Like, cause I think maybe, and, and like, let me know what you think, Will, but I think like, even when I go back and watch some of those old matches where, where they're not, they're not very good because he's versing like uh giant Gonzalez or something like that. Like he still has an incredible presence and he's still great to look at when he's coming out, when he's standing there in the ring, when he's hitting certain, hitting certain poses and so on. Um, but I wouldn't say the matches by and large are of a, an amazing quality or anything like that. But right. then he starts up a rivalry with Bret Hart. And I think like you or I could step in the ring with uh, Bret Hart in his prime and uh, he could probably get a good match out of either of us and make us look like stars, to be honest. But he he is exceptional. Like like I said, he's on my Mount Rushmore. He, um, he made The Undertaker look fantastic. Uh, but unfortunately, that transformed into a rivalry against um, Diesel. <laughs> and he had a WrestleMania match with Diesel. 
but then he moves on to mankind and again mankind gets gets really good stuff out of him that goes on for the better part of two years and carries them over to the attitude era this is where they have like the buried alive match this is where they have that hell in a cell match which um i'm sure you've seen the hell in a cell match at this point like it's and it's this horrifying is, this is isn't when it? he like <laughs> this is when he levels up into like crucifying people right well well we'll get to we'll get to that we're not quite okay. there yet but we're, but we're heading in that direction yeah okay. <laughs> yeah but the um the buried alive sorry the hell in a cell match is like essential viewing even if you're not really big on wrestling because it it's sort of you haven't really lived till you've seen i think people forget how big mick foley is because he sort of when he was mankind or cactus jack or whoever he would hunch over quite a lot but mick foley in his prime was like six four six five in real life like so he he is a big guy and you haven't really lived till you've seen um a guy that big get thrown off the the side of a like 15 foot <laughs> steel cage or something by an even bigger guy it's uh it's something to behold <laughs> um so then yeah they they had some great stuff in the boiler room brawl as well too um but all that kind of eventually wrapped up, and this is where he became his um, switched over to the sort of Lord of Darkness persona. <laughs> the Attitude Era was kicking off. Um, so here's where he becomes kind of a satanic priest as opposed to being like an Old West zombie or right. maybe like biker zombie or something like that. Um, and he was heading up the Ministry of Darkness. Now, they were kind of like what our parents were all scared of in terms of um, being a sort of evil satanic panic cult. <laughs> right. the, he'd kidnap other wrestlers and then quote unquote sacrifice them. So they'd come back as these like new characters who were under the undertaker's spell. Um, and this is where he crucified. Uh, he kidnapped Stephanie McMahon and also crucified Steve Austin, uh, which, which got the WWF a huge amount of real life heat. So wh- what are your thoughts on like Lord of darkness undertaker? <laughs> i missed that era thankfully but like whenever i've seen matches from it or just vignettes from it it feels like it went too far but everything about the attitude era was about too far Mm -hmm. so like it fits i just don't ever want them to go back to it like there's certain things like the american badass which like they have pretty much come full circle back to that mm, i don't want mm. them to do that to his whole like lord of darkness persona yeah i think one like you would have run across this maybe talking about other media too like i think like um you know like a, a lot of younger wrestling fancy attitude era stuff and they kind of go oh my god i can't believe this flew back then you know and uh, I think it's fair to say that certain attitudes have changed and things like that, but I think it overlooks that like a lot of people weren't necessarily that cool with all of this stuff at the time as well. Like it's it's kind of like when um uh, say like I remember a few years ago like Friends went up on streaming and um you know you you uh, a few younger people who'd never really seen Friends before were kind of like oh Friends is like really homophobic. I'd always heard of it as this like nice funny charming sitcom and it's kind of like well 
like yeah it was incredibly popular but that doesn't mean everything everyone was sort of totally cool with everything about it back in the day either you know right, like right. yeah but but i understand why when you're seeing the the piece of media on its own out of context you might assume like oh well it got on tv therefore everyone was happy with it you know <laughs> like so, um yeah, and I think the Attitude Era has a lot of that. There was a huge amount of stuff that even as a teenage boy I thought was in terrible taste, like, um, uh, you know, all the bra and panties matches and I stuff like that. I was about to say that. Yeah, I did like, like, when SmackDown used to be on Thursdays, they had the annual Thanksgiving food fight, which would <laughs> devolve into a bra and panty match. Yeah, and, and there's there's one of them in particular I've seen where, like, Triple H, and I can't remember if Shawn Michaels is there or not, but Triple H goes down to, like, the local homeless shelter and is sort of, like, you know, berating, like, the homeless people for being losers and then, like, throwing their food everywhere and stuff. And, like, it... And it's kind of like, yeah, it's 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 getting him some heel heat, like. But you know, we already kind of, you know, he has enough of that already. <laughs> like, right, we didn't, right. we didn't need you to literally go and yell at homeless people to, to you know, stuff stuff like that. And and it's like that stuff wasn't in good taste even at the time. It's not like everyone thought that was a great idea. It's that you have Vince McMahon kind of going, ah, this is excellent, you know, <laughs> signing off on stuff, you know. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I am conflicted on this period for sure. Like, I think he probably has his best theme music during this period. Um, he looks good. I, I really like the hooded robe look. Um, but it, it, yeah, I think the antics themselves have uh, were, were not necessarily in good taste at the time and haven't aged well. <laughs> and uh, I was thinking about this because uh, I know you're a former church kid as well, too. Like, how many church kids weren't allowed to watch wrestling anymore because <laughs> of the Undertaker? <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so eventually all that wrapped up when uh, Vince McMahon ca- was revealed as like the ultimate higher power behind the ministry um, it made for I, I've gone back and watched this episode of Raw where it happens and it's like a terrible reveal like no one's happy about it and it doesn't make any storyline sense either because it's like well, hang on, why are you having your daughter kidnapped to be turned against you to like, it's, it's just the overtone undertones are really sort of unsettling and creepy, (laughs) Um, you know, which is very Vince McMahon to be fair, you know, like um, uh, originally they were talking about having this uh, guy called, I don't know if you've heard of him, Will, like uh, Christopher Daniels was going to be the higher power originally. Um, He, I don't think he's ever actually done anything for WWE, but he was, He's wrestled for pretty much every other company, and he was like a big Ring, ring of Honor guy in early days. I think he works for AEW now. So he's sort of like, you know, regarded as one of the best wrestlers to never wrestle for WWE. Um, apparently, Vince felt he was too short, um, you know, which, which again, very Vince McMahon. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it, it it probably would have been a better ending or, you know, kept it continuing uh, for, for longer in a better direction. But no, we can't we can't have nice things as wrestling fans. Like mm-hmm. um but yeah, around this time he had his first hip replacement too, which is why he was also not uh, wrestling as much. Um and you know, that that was part of what the Ministry of Darkness was about too. So that way they could keep him on camera and keep selling his merch, but they didn't necessarily need to have him being as physical. Uh, and he was written off eventually for a period. He had to take some time off for other injuries. But then we get to Judgment Day in 2000, and uh, we come to your favorite incarnation of Undertaker, 
the American badass. So tell us why you like the American badass so much, because he, you you know, like he's a incarnation that kind of splits people. So, Oh yeah. He's like, I usually, I'm the underdog guy. Like I like the stuff that people don't like, but like, because I had missed the whole, like the ministry of darkness, all that stuff to me, it was there's this old west zombie preacher guy who all of a sudden has a personality yeah yeah. you know like (laughs) there there was there was an evolution there like it was like he leveled up like he he spoke now and like but he he didn't waste words Mm -hmm. you know like he Mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily cutting promos because that's not his strong suit but he would talk and like those few words would get the message across i liked like i don't know i just kind of liked the when he becomes the american badass it's like the attitude era light like it's Mm. the diet attitude era which like i was fine with like i had missed what came before so i'm sure it was like awesome and you'll never see anything like it again but like when he showed up on his bike it was kind of like he was my stone cold like the reason that everybody likes Stone Cold is like, oh, he's this like every man who hates his boss and he drinks <laughs> beer. Like, ooh, yay. And like Taker was a biker who kind of hated everybody. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. You know, like he didn't really have any allegiance. And there was like this period of time around like 2000, 2001 where all WWE had was like Triple H, The Rock, American Badass, and Stone Cold. Mm. And every week was some combination of how do we <laughs> <laughs> how do we deal with we have four people we care about. So like I I I'm ashamed to say it. I loved his kid rock entrance music. <laughs> like I loved the American badass because like I said, it just gave him a personality. And like, it was around that time they released this coffee table book called WWE unscripted. Oh, you mean, uh, you mean this coffee table book? That's the one. That is the one. I love that book because it goes into like their personal lives, you know, Mm. which is something we don't necessarily get. Like some of them we knew like Lita and the Hardys and that kind of thing. But Taker was an anomaly at that point in time. And they actually like deal with him on a real life level. Like he had gotten the Sarah tattoo and they're like, well, you know, like with the way wrestling (laughs) marriages go, what happens if things don't work out? And I remember he says, guess I'll have to find another girl named Sarah. <laughs> but then he eventually covers it up. Yeah. I, I love that whole, like, I loved finally getting a glimpse into his mind because mm. when he was controlled by Paul Bear, he was really just like an automaton. He was like a golem. Like, mm. he didn't have mm. anything. He was just a vessel. So the American badass humanized him. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And he 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 had broken away from all of that by um when he did his like Lord of Darkness stuff. But obviously, as as you're saying, if you miss that, then you're going straight from like the very uh 
yeah, the the sort of early nineties version where yeah, there isn't really a personality to like a more well rounded character and so on. Yeah. Um but I think he I, I've come to really appreciate the American badass. I didn't like it at the time. I, I was very um like, you know, like ah, oh, now he's another biker guy in a locker room full of other guys who look like biker guys you know <laughs> like the, but i mean i was like 15 when this happened like the um and i don't i don't feel that way now i think he legitimately had some of his best matches when he was in that persona like um that jeff hardy match that that uh we talked about like that ladder match that was uh oh you my know gosh. Yeah. somebody should have died there like, yeah. I, can't, I can't believe like it just kept going and even like the way it ends where he's just like i can't believe you kept getting up <laughs> you know it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, an yeah. amazing match and i think he and and jeff and and taker wins which is which is you know i think what you'd sort of expect at the time and and the way he's pushed and so on but he um he makes Jeff Hardy look really good. And, you know, you, it, and I think to some degree, you could even say that's begin the beginning of the period where like actually losing to undertaker is, is sometimes better than just winning a match against some other rando, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Oh yeah. That was when he was like, I'm going to make you famous. Yeah. You know, like I'll make you famous. <laughs> yep. take me on. I'll make you famous. <laughs> yep. He delivered. Yeah, and and like anyone who hasn't seen it, he has a. It's on a random episode of Raw or SmackDown, but he has this ladder match against Jeff Hardy, sort of just as Jeff Hardy's been broken off to become a single star from the Hardy's bo- Hardy Boys, and it's uh, it's absolutely worth watching. So, um, so but he also changed his style a little bit too. Like he he incorporated a lot more kind of MMA and boxing techniques into his move set. Um, he also switched out the tombstone as this finisher for this huge power bomb called the Last Ride, which um, I, I've never been big on power bombs as finishers. Um, but geez, like the Last Ride looks terrifying to to take. Oh, yeah. like and then when you compare it to something like a Superman punch, like, uh, yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah, a great the, finish. <laughs> so, like I, I, I like Roman Reigns, but the Superman punch has got to go. Hey, like you know, that's it's it's not it's not good. um so but yeah yeah i think the the main downside from like i think the things i like about um uh this is that it really let him showcase himself as a quote-unquote proper wrestler in the way that the kind of dead man persona didn't um you know uh i i think the main downsides are two things i think he was maybe a little too present in the main event scene though to be fair you have other factors there like stone cold disappearing for a while you also had the fact that the rock left to make movies and um uh you, you know i th- they found them devoid of their like two biggest stars in very quick succession you know like stone cold and the rock going is is a huge blow um, the other downside is that um, he also had that horrible storyline with Diamond Dallas Page as part of the invasion, Ooh, and yeah. Di- Diamond Dallas Page is an excellent wrestler. Like he, he's probably in my top ten, but uh, you wouldn't know it from watching that that angle that they put together. Um, but with that said, you know, like there's still definitely good stuff, and it's 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 people who write it off are, are being overly simplistic. I think so. Um, but eventually this came to a, to an end. It's Survivor Series 2003. Undertaker lost a buried alive match against Vince McMahon because 
Vince apparently couldn't keep himself off TV for more than five minutes at that point. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he lost the Buried Alive match, and they kind of said, oh, okay, uh, Undertaker's dead and gone at this point. Um, but, but of course, you know, uh, Mark Calloway doesn't stay dead for very long. Um, so he was back at the next WrestleMania in 2004 and they kind of had teasers that he was going to come back. And, and this time he was back as the dead man, but he kind of had a hybrid persona, like ever since, ever since 2004, he's had a very similar persona where he's still this like supernatural entity, but he's still putting on much more technical matches. He's not just lumbering around and, you know, he's using some cool MMA moves and that kind of thing. So um, how did you feel when you switched back to being the dead man or had you already kind of transitioned out of uh, watching at this point? I had pretty much transitioned out at that point. Mm. So like when I came back, he was kind of like an aged rocker. Like yes, he was yes, just yes. in really terrible shape with like wet hair and eyeliner. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. Like, <laughs> but he would box. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I, I will never understand why they keep insist why the commentators insist on call, like what is it the best pure striker in the WWE? <laughs> he's 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 an undead zombie who can shoot lightning, but let's talk about his pure striking ability, will we? <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me but vince vince tells his uh commentators what he tells them i guess like (laughs) um it's it's weird though because like he doesn't fit anymore but that's mm. why i love him because he's a relic of the past like when i got into wrestling everybody had a name everybody had a gimmick it might Mm. be offensive like razor or tatanka but they still had a gimmick you know Mm. and like now they don't if i got into nxt tomorrow my name would be bruce williamson yes yes, it it absolutely would yeah like (laughs) like that's just how it works like there's no more packaging in Mm. like of a superstar but he's still hanging on and like he doesn't he's an anomaly but he's always been an anomaly that's Mm. why it's kind of funny to me like his latest statement about like how the young guys are into these comic book these comic book movies and that's what they're after and i'm like you're a dead man who (laughs) who who shoots lightning how are you saying anything about this (laughs) That that's it, and I think I think to be fair to him, he's been given more opportunity to round that character out and develop it into something in a way that the current creative team doesn't necessarily allow them to to do things. Like, um, so I, I think I think when he criticizes aspects of the current product, I don't think he's necessarily wrong, but I think he comes at it from the wrong angle. Like, I think criticize the writers, like criticize Vince McMahon for all the ridiculous bullshit he signs off on, like criticize them for not, um, you know, for pursuing a a PG-13 audience when your primary audience is not actually PG-13, you know, like, like, you know, obviously there's advertising dollars and stuff to factor in, but I think that, you know, I, I don't want to go back to the attitude era either. Like, I think there was a lot of really gross, disgusting stuff in there. Um, but I also think that he he he's right in saying that certain parts of the current product are bad, but he he's just 
not switched on or unwilling to comment on the real reasons why it's bad i think <laughs> exactly like he's, yeah. he's not really going he's going after the symptoms and not the cause yeah because yeah. like when when you get mad at like the wrestlers and you say they're soft and all this they just don't want to be released they're just following orders mm, you know mm, but yeah. like it's it, it's a completely different thing when like he's he he thinks one thing of like oh they're soft how they carry themselves blah blah blah, blah. but these guys are going to live longer than his contemporaries yes you know yeah. like things had to change it didn't have to be this like backroom slum <laughs> like pay your dues kind of thing that's how you case of beer be. after every show like, exactly you know? <laughs> exactly yeah I I, under, I understand the the sort of like oh things are different to when I came up and and I struggle with that because it, like I understand him I like I I I don't think he's dumb but I don't think he's terribly self aware and I don't think he thinks in terms of like oh like actually like things are always going to change and like I am not quite sure how I fit in with this now. But it's okay. It's just different. It's not wrong. It's just different. That kind of thing. Like someone with a little more self awareness might be able to separate themselves and kind of go like, "Oh, you know, I had a good time when everyone was bringing knives and guns backstage, and I have a lot of fond memories from that." Is it good that we don't do that anymore? Yeah, probably. Like it's safer. Right. Like you know. <laughs> yeah, but um. So with with all that said, even though by this stage in his career he's definitely um showing some wear and tear, shall we say, um he still had some exceptional matches. Like he, uh, Kurt Angle beat him, and uh, Kurt Angle and Edge both beat him at a couple of different matches, which were uh, the, the, he has a really good one with um Kurt Angle. I think it's Survivor Series two thousand six, and um. I didn't like Kurt Angle as a kid. I was kind of like, oh, he's just a guy who's got an Olympic medal. Good on him. Like, but as an yeah, adult, yeah. I've come around to him and I'm like, no, he was he was really good. Like, you know. <laughs> um, and they have an exceptional, like, it's like a 20-minute match, and it looks just horrifying for both of them. Like, uh, you know, Kurt was never afraid to put himself through the ringer. Um, Edge, Edge, I still haven't really warmed up to, but I can see why they liked him. I don't know. How did you feel about Edge and Christian? <laughs> I always felt like Edge was carrying Christian. Like they, they're always considered this great tag team, but like when it came down to charisma, it's oh, like yeah. it, it, it's Edge all the way, and Christian is just like the straight man. Like he's he's a journeyman. Like he's reliable. Mm, he's, there's mm. nothing flashy about him. Like he's the guy you marry. He's not the guy you cheat with. Like I've, I've always <laughs> thought it was funny that his nickname was Captain Charisma. <laughs> yeah 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 so like yeah i edge and christian because when i was watching it was always edging christian versus the hardys like yes some, yes yeah like some yeah. reason to get them together again for the tlc matches yeah, and yeah. Get the dudleys and that like the WWE locked on to like four people at a time mm. <laughs> and they constantly just move the pieces <laughs> around. Yeah, no, I really um you know, I, I'm very fond of the Hardy Boys, and I think Edge and Christian 
Uh, I kind of liked them when they were part of the brood, like uh, with Gangrel and everything, and they were vampires. Like I was kind of behind that. But then, um, yeah, then when they sort of separated and became their own thing, I'm kind of like, oh, they're just the Hardies, but not as good, <laughs> like, you know, which is grossly oversimplifying it. But that's that's kind of how I felt as a teenager, I think. And uh, I've never, even though I think Edge is probably a good guy, like I, I've never been quite able to shake that and get to grips with him as being a main eventer or anything like that. You know? Right, yeah. right. And then the Hardies were willing to like, kill themselves for yes. entertainment <laughs> you know like you you have to respect that <laughs> yeah. there was zero self-preservation <laughs> i think the first pay-per-view i saw was actually royal rumble 2000 which has that amazing um tables tlc match against um uh the dudleys it's a wonder to me that jeff hardy is still walking let alone actively oh, yeah. wrestling <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> like whenever he has his addiction issues i'm just kind of like the boy earned them yeah <laughs> yeah know? well like... i mean like yeah i think the 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 amount of pain you have to imagine he's in on a pretty regular basis like oh yeah yeah um whereas matt at least i suppose had learned a little more self-preservation yeah <laughs> um but yeah, so eventually he uh, he did win the Royal Rumble in two thousand seven, uh, which which is nice, you know. I th- I think it was probably way too late, like. But I also think it was nice that he got to got to check that box. To be honest, and he still definitely had some good matches ahead of him. Like uh, you know, uh, I don't like CM Punk, but he had some really good matches with CM Punk. Um, Stand CM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah. I, look, I, I don't want to talk too much about him because I don't want him shouting at me on Twitter when, when this comes out, <laughs> and that's a real risk. <laughs> yeah, it is. It he, is. Um, yeah, he's he's just not for me. I can appreciate him as a as a performer. I see why people like him, but he he pushes buttons for me specifically, and not in a not in a like oh what a heel like more in a like I don't want to watch you kind of way. I think like yeah. And, CM Punk's the whole conversation unto himself. Oh yeah. yeah, but but we haven't touched on the streak. No, no. Like... Well, well, we're we're about to get to that because okay. so this, explain the streak to the uninitiated. You know, the... well, the streak is that Undertaker never lost at WrestleMania. Well until he had 21 wrestlemanias mm. where he never lost mm. he never lost at wrestlemania and then he went against what brock lesnar yeah, yeah and he finally lost at wrestlemania but for like 21 wrestlemanias and but they were never necessarily the best matches they weren't always main event matches they mm. but like they sometimes they were just gimme matches like oh here's your match and you get to win at wrestlemania but then some are amazing like the ones we watch wrestlemania 25 with Shawn michaels oh it's just sort of like it's like a 39 minute match and you're just like (laughs) it looks like it's over by like minute 15 and then you look and you're like wait no this is gonna keep going how how are they not dead (laughs) yeah it's it's funnily enough like i think it's a bit different now but like back in the day him and Shawn michaels really did not get on as people 
Um, you know, I, th- I think they, they, they've all come good now as like uh, good Christian Texan boys should, you know. Exactly. But, uh, yeah. I was going to say that was. Yeah. yeah. But um, I think that like, yeah, the they're just, they had such amazing chemistry even back in the day in the 90s when they really didn't get on. Like the few matches they had, I was like, holy shit. Like, you know, it's like, you know, the, it's, it's just amazing what the right opponents can bring out of each other, I think. Like, yeah. yeah. But um, but yeah, definitely. So the streak, yeah, it, it's not twenty-one consecutive WrestleManias because there's a few right. WrestleManias you had off. He was away with injury and things like that. Um, but yeah, then he comes up against Brock Lesnar, and him and Brock had wrestled a few times before, but they'd not crossed paths in a major way. But he he'd lost to Brock before, like just not at WrestleMania. Yeah, and then. Um, yeah, this is, this is a really controversial one for Undertaker fans. Like personally, I don't think they should have broken the streak or I think it should have been broken if he was retiring that year, but I I don't know. I kind of liked having it going and it doesn't help that I've never liked Brock Lesnar very much. I think (laughs) neither do I. Yeah. I mean, he's terrifying. Like, you know, I, I think he's kind of like, I kind of get it. He's he's a very legit martial arts guy, and I don't have any doubt that um, could beat the shit out of a lot of people very easily in real life. Um, he, that's the thing. He's too real to me. Like, yeah, he's that guy yeah. who would start a fight with you in the line at McDonald's. Like he's like he exists. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and that's that's all he knows. Uh, the next the next fight, like wherever oh, yeah. that might be, whether it's whether it's in the UFC ring or the line at McDonald's, it's uh, it's coming. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I've I've never warmed to him. I, I thought he was pushed way too hard when he first came along. But I I, I kind of get it. Like Vince likes monsters and like i gotta say i can't think of many you know 22 year olds i've seen who are as jacked up as brock Lesnar was at the time like right yeah but so he eventually breaks the streak and you know a lot of people thought he might retire then because by this point undertaker was you know only really wrestling a handful of times a year he was much more in that special attraction sort of category as opposed to being a regular member of the roster and um, even though the match was, the match itself is not that great because he gets concussed very early on and you can see he's, you know, you can, I wouldn't necessarily pick him up as being concussed specifically, but you can tell something's not right. And so right. he's concussed early on, then he gets thrown wall to wall by Brock Lesnar and it's, it's sort of knowing what you know now, it becomes much more unpleasant to, to see. And then... Um, yeah, I think everyone thought he'd go away quietly, but no, no, he came back for a few more matches, and you know the the quality varies radically. Um, but he he did have a few good ones in there. I did I did definitely the 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 real stinker though was his match against Roman Reigns a few yes. years later. Yeah, did you watch that one or the, yeah? yeah he, it's like, so I, bad. I watched like, that like live, and he's just in the worst shape. Yeah, he looks terrible. Shape. Yeah, and that's that's the one where like I'm pretty sure we thought he was done. Well, he left his his coat and hat in the in the arena. Yeah, the... he did, and like I have the thank you taker urn that they sold <laughs> on wweshop.com. <laughs> like, like I have it. It's in a little like casket box and everything. <laughs> yeah, and I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. came back, so it means nothing. <laughs> 
I think he really, I think if he'd had a good match with Roman, he probably would have stayed retired. But I think somewhere along the line, he got it in his head like, oh, that last one wasn't quite good enough. And so then you, when you're thinking like that, you're in a bad way. Like, and you're, you're, going to end up disappointing both yourself and other people i think like he went on to have some horrible matches with um you know those crown jewel pay-per-views that they do over in saudi arabia you oh, know, he had blood a- money pay-per-view yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah had a horrible match with um goldberg which, which to be fair is not surprising like i don't think undertaker versus goldberg was ever going to be good like, because no. the, there's no there's no style compatibility there um just two old men fighting <laughs> yeah, but even even back in the day, like Goldberg was like, you know, like Goldberg Goldberg's cool. He has charisma and so on, but he also, you know, he's like a two minute wonder. You know, like it's awesome seeing him squash jobbers. Like I don't want to see him actually have a competitive match, like because he's not good at it. Right. <laughs> um. Yeah, and then yeah, so but he did have some good ones in there. He had a good tag team match with Roman Reigns after Roman beat him. They they paired up as the graveyard dogs for like two matches or something like that, and they were good fun. Um, you know, he and then he had this cinematic match at the uh, WrestleMania. Match. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that could have been really bad, but I, I was actually really pleased with it. I was like surprised how much I enjoyed it. I think like uh, how'd you go with it? <laughs> I I don't hate it, but it was such a ripoff of the final deletion or whatever it was called. Oh uh, yeah, with the, the Hardys. Hardy, yeah, with the yeah. Hardys, where it was just kind of like it was very been there, done that. Mm-hmm. Like it was interesting to see WWE's take on that whole kind of genre, mm-hmm. but like it didn't really do it for me. Like mm-hmm. I just felt like he didn't need to come back for that. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I can, I can, I can understand that. I think my my big thing with it was um, I like AJ Styles. I think he's very talented. Like the way he throws himself around is amazing, especially considering he's in his forties now. But I don't know. I wanted to see him as like the Undertaker's final opponent. You know, like uh, I feel like maybe it should have been Kane, or like though Kane's pretty old now. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, or even just a proper passing of the torch to someone who who wasn't Roman Reigns or something like that. <laughs> but right, yeah, right. maybe to Bray Wyatt or Alistair Black or someone like that. But or Finn oh, I don't Balor. Know. Like Finn Balor, yeah. he could transfer the demon stuff to him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and once upon a time that might have happened, but I think like, yeah, Finn has never got off the ground in the way he should either. But but again, another another story, I think. But yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I was pleased at the time, but I think, yeah, I if I step back and look at it a bit more objectively, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm just glad it wasn't totally embarrassing. <laughs> like, right. You know, because, um, right. you know, as someone who's very fond of him and you do definitely see, and you would have seen this too, like I think there are a lot of cr- reasons to criticise both Mark and the character, but I, I do think, like, you see a lot of very uninformed bad takes about him as well. They're kind of like, oh, this, like from younger fans, they're like, oh, this is hokey and embarrassing. It's like, no, you, you don't get it. Like, you know, so, right, right. Yeah, so. And they, they forget that he's grandfathered in. It would be mm. one thing if he, like, 
if he debuted tomorrow like this. Yes. But yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you've got to know the legacy. But yeah, now, now we kind of move to the twilight of his career and now how he's doing lots of interviews with bad takes and wearing Blue Lives Matter shirts and stuff. And it's really just, just shitty to see, <laughs> to be honest. He's, he's like, going to all the worst places. Yeah. Like, it's like, there's no, it's almost like the Hogan thing. Like, whenever I think he can't do anything lower, he does it. Or just something completely out of character for him. Like, he's he's giving talks at mega churches. This, oh, yeah, this, yeah. Yeah, he did that thing with Ric Flair and stuff. (laughs) Like, he's giving, I saw, like, I watched more of one than I should have. Yeah. But, like, I was morbidly curious. And he was talking about, like, how he got saved and everything. Well, I'd I'd say, Michelle, uh, my my wife, you know, my third wife, she uh, she really. (laughs) Help me, you know, I'd always raised raised Christian, but she uh, she helped me rediscover the power of my Lord and Savior. You know, it's it's exactly. it's that kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Mm. That's almost word for word. <laughs> and, then, and like people are like, like they sold tickets to this thing, like the church is full and they're just happy to see the Undertaker. Where these <laughs> are the same people who wouldn't have let their kids watch or who weren't allowed to watch the Undertaker themselves 20 <laughs> years ago. Saying he's saying the right things and doing the right dance, and suddenly he's he's cool now. Yeah, and I think that's look, I think that's a that's a tough one with like even outside of wrestling with any celebrity gone bad who who either tries to make good or genuinely makes good yeah but uh it is it's weird to to see that kind of thing and then you know him showing up on places like the hot ones and like trying all the different hot sauces and stuff like that he's (laughs) he's really like i don't know i feel like he's damaging his legacy because i always said he needed to die with the gimmick Mm. like and he this is terrible but like he's of that contemporary class where like there was a good chance he was gonna die yeah no no like (laughs) you know like between that like 2005 2007 period wrestlers were dropping off like and if someone had come to me and not that I think he was sort of in his wildest days by, by then or anything like that. But if, if someone had come to me and said, Hey, the undertaker's dropped out of a heart attack, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, that, that's unfortunate, but that sounds about right too. You right. Know? Like, right. Yeah. And so like he, he needed to ride it to the end. Like if he was going to start talking, it might even say he his- needed to have a last ride. <laughs> <laughs> If, if he was gonna start talking it should be his hall of fame speech and mm. even then he should just like grunt or something but no he decided to start talking and then he wouldn't shut up mm. and every time he opens his mouth you just want to say shut up mark <laughs> we've heard this before and i think it's it's interesting too because at the, the other end of the spectrum you have mick foley who while he was still performing as mankind was like writing all his books like have a nice day and stuff like that which you know were were giving all this kind of inside info about the way the wrestling world worked and how you got trained and how you did this and how you did that and like that's always been kind of baked into Mick Foley's persona um for better or for worse like I I quite enjoy it but I definitely get why I I don't know you Stan Hansen's probably wouldn't you know (laughs) um but then you've got 
undertaker and he's kind of like oh i'm just oh, well you know I, I think the current product's kind of soft and you know i think that you know these these guys think doing flips is is good wrestling but you know wrestling's about the fundamentals and you kind of like it it's it's nothing terribly new. We're not getting zany, fun road stories about the boys or something like that, which I would enjoy. You know, like it's right. it's all just kind of like an old guy complaining about young people doing things differently to him, which is what traditionally older wrestlers have done, and it's just disappointing to see him slot into that mold so easily. And then on top of that, he's sitting there wearing like a thin blue line T-shirt or like nine line or something like that, and you kind of like. Oh man, this this uh, this really sucks. You know? right, <laughs> like on right. so many levels, like yeah, yeah it's just uh, yeah. He's complaining about like the young guys playing video games backstage. <laughs> and it's like, what you want him doing coke? Like, <laughs> just leave him alone. Let yeah, him exactly. Like, it's, what's what's the hill to die on here, Mark? Like, right. you know? <laughs> like yeah, I think it's like. Look, I'd really be keen to hear your thoughts, but I know from my perspective, like it, it does, it, it definitely colors how I view him. Like, I, I know that there are definitely, um, you know, there, there are sort of figures who are part of the wider zeitgeist, and it's maybe easier to separate separate out the you know the the sort of you know quote-unquote art they put out into the world versus who they are as an individual. You know, like, um, I can do like the Beatles were all terrible people at different times of their lives you know right. like Fleetwood Mac uh, I'm sure still some of the worst people you could ever meet like uh, does it affect how I enjoy like big love not really like um but uh the yeah I don't, I don't know I think with wrestling particularly because the character tends to be so bound up with the individual like you know look i'm sitting here wearing an undertaker shirt now like you know especially for the recording of course like i have a bunch of undertaker action figures like but i i don't i certainly don't you know yeah i don't, I don't want to support awful people you know and I, I don't know if we've seen mark calloway fully go into that but i i i I definitely get bummed out by some of the things I seem get behind for sure. Like, and right. yeah, yeah. Particularly given the wider climate at the moment and like, maybe I shouldn't be so sort of disappointed that like a mid fifties guy from Texas who spent his whole life working in a weird niche carny industry has some bad opinions about things, but you know, it doesn't mean it doesn't disappoint me. Like, yeah. Definitely. I mean, like I said before, and it's not, it's not fair to them necessarily but like growing up when i did with what we had i don't think they're good people <laughs> like, <laughs> like like by default that's why i'm always shocked and amazed when you get like a cena from his like make a wish stuff or you get like the new day who genuinely seem like great guys mm. like it, it's almost like a culture shock to me because like growing up it was a carny industry full of charlatans and showmen yes. and like they're not great guys so it's like taker isn't disappointing me 
because I'm surprised by his views. Like, no, they pretty much align with how I had seen The Undertaker. It's mm. just that to keep the character going, he should just shut up. Like, I don't, I don't even want him, like, I'm not even saying he needs to change. I'm not making a value judgment on, like, all his stuff. Like, we know how we feel about all that. But I just feel like he just never should have started talking. Mm. Like, mm. he just... Mm just should have stayed quiet like ride that gimmick till the wheels fall off yeah and i can yeah no i can i can kind of see that like i mean i think um people are complex and the people we admire are complex but not always complex in very good ways i think like but yeah i i agree like i, I think like I, I remember being quite young like i would have been about seven or eight and um uh, I loved Michael Jackson and, um, you know, Michael Jackson probably would have loved me too, as it turns out. Um, uh, but I do remember saying like, oh, you know, I'd love to meet Michael Jackson and dad being, and dad being a bit more aware of what was going on in the news. He's like, I don't, I don't think he would. <laughs> and, and I'm like, oh, but you know, he's so talented. He's so cool. And he's like, look, being talented is not a sign of being a good person. And like that, that I think it, it is interesting to me too, when, you know, some people have their favorite actor or celebrity or, or what have you turns out to not, not be so great for whatever reason that might be. Um, it is interesting to me to see how many people sort of don't s- seem to have kind of hit their thirties without realizing that, you know, like, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I still enjoy watching some of his old matches, but I do, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's complex and I'm not the best informed person to make a big call on it or anything like that. But, um, but yeah, I d- do wish he'd shut up as well. <laughs> to be honest, Like he just, just, just don't talk, Mark. Just, just don't talk. <laughs> or but tell they, some more interesting stories about the boys. Like you know, you yeah. best you you were truly best mates with Rikishi and the Godfather. Sure, you guys had some interesting stuff happen over the years. <laughs> Oh, I guess you got any closing thoughts around around uh, our boy Mark, or uh, you know. Well, I'm looking forward to his Hall of Fame induction. Yeah I, had, yeah. I had always said that, like, if we knew beforehand that, like, it was his last match and, like, it was his induction, like, I was going to go. Mm-hmm. But then, like, with COVID yes. and then with him being who he is now and like mm. i'm not really like on the same page with like how he chose to end his career mm. like mm. But especially because i don't like that the hall of fame the hall of fame should be capping off a great career mm. but too many people use it to kickstart a comeback I don't, want him, I don't thing. want him coming back so i i don't trust that he's fully gone yet mm-hmm. <laughs> so even like i'm looking forward to the ceremony he'll probably get some time off whatever but i'm scared he's gonna be like flair where flair is never going away no, Rick. Someone once observed that like Rick Flair will have like a T-shirt booth at his funeral. <laughs> so I think they're probably right. Like, oh yeah. But uh, I think yeah. Look, I don't. I don't think he's gone for good either. Realistically, I think we will see him turn up maybe once or twice a year to choke slam some someone. 
Um, I think we'll probably get another cinematic match further down the line. I wouldn't be totally opposed to that. Like, it depends who it is and the circumstances and so on. But, um, yeah, I, I agree. Like, I think Hall of Fame should kind of be it. Like, you know, they offered Hall of Fame to Jeff Hardy and he said no. He's like, I, I'm still wrestling. <laughs> like, you know, um, and yeah, but uh, I I think they use it as a tool to keep people happy. I, I think I think there are people who legitimately deserve to be there, but I think they also use it as to keep people happy to massage egos as a publicity stunt. Like, oh, Undertaker yeah. going in will get a ton of eyes on it. Um, you know, because and... he's the only one left. They blew through too many A listers. Mm, like, mm. I feel like they the classes were too big that they were inducting yes and like now like once mark gets in i mean like razor got in twice yes <laughs> you yeah. know? like that that's the situation we're in where are we gonna like give it double back and give it to, well like, no because like, in a few years the brothers of destruction will probably go in like we we didn't even really talk about Kane through this, but he he'd be worth an episode in of himself. But like, I guarantee you, the brothers of destruction will go in separately on another year. Like, probably Kane's pretty much retired. I don't think he no, he is in the Hall of Fame now. So yeah, yeah. So brothers of destruction would probably be three years from now or something like that. Like. Yeah, I I think it's going to be very interesting to see the next few years and like whether he, I don't know, shows more of his ass or or what have you. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I'll I'll be watching too, and I'll be keen. I wouldn't be surprised if he turns up at WrestleMania. I don't think he'll have a match, but I wouldn't be surprised if he pops out and has a farewell because his actual farewell was a bit sad, happening in the empty arena and everything. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Undertaker, a complex man. Um, you know, go watch some of his matches, see what you think about him. But look, Will, it's it's been so great having you on the show. Like, um, you know, what plug plug your stuff, plug your stuff. Like, where can where can the punters find you? Like, uh, well, thank you for having me. This is this has been really fun, and I love the show. I've listened to every episode, oh, even though I I'm not even like a horror slash supernatural person but i've learned so much just from like listening to the episodes and like things like the alien autopsy one like it was funny to me because my mom watched that oh, we, were talking about her, we were talking about her earlier like she's a lot older like she's 83 mm, right now mm. so she'd been in, she was in the federal government for like 30 years and i remember when we watched the alien autopsy, she said that it was she said it was fake because the clocks were wrong. Yeah, I, like, I remember that mean? being a big thing. And at she the time. was like, yeah. she was like, we didn't have clocks like that at that time like like at that point in time like those clocks didn't come along in the government until like the 70s and i was like huh that's really so i always kept that with me but anyway i love the show so thank Thank you you so much for having me and Um, as long as you having you on maybe you'll you'll have to come back for something else maybe kane but maybe something else too yeah yeah i just let me know um But yeah, you can find me at westweekever.com. 
some. Um, I try to do West Week Ever every week. It is where we take a look back at the week in pop culture, and I decide which thing had the best week, and that gets the West Week Ever. Um, you can also find me. That's usually on Fridays. Um, it's not every week right now because there's not a lot happening, but I try to do it weekly, so check that out. Um, you can find me on Twitter at William B. West or Instagram at William Bruce West, or I just tried to start doing TikTok today. <laughs> so that's <laughs> William B. West. So yeah, those are all the places you can find me. How about your OnlyFans or is that um, secret? Oh, that, that's that's separate. That, okay, that's sorry. Separate. We'll just, sorry, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Lupine Transmissions and uh, a very special thanks to our guest, William Bruce West. Now, um, since we recorded the episode, uh, there was just one other point we wanted to talk about. So The Undertaker was actually inducted into the Hall of Fame a few days after we recorded and uh, Will texted me pretty abruptly afterwards, uh, sort of asking if I was watching and um, uh, I I wasn't able to see it live, unfortunately, but I watched it a few hours later. and I think it's probably fair to say that both of us were very surprised by what we saw, um, just in terms of it being such a break with his on-stage performer, you know, his kind of um, character that we've seen previously, and also just in terms of the way he's presented himself in interviews since. Um, you know, if I was going to draw a comparison to it, it would probably be a TED Talk or something. Uh, now you can definitely see it online, um, uh, you know, and I, I, def- I do suggest watching it. It probably goes for about half an hour to forty minutes, something like that. So pretty standard TED Talk length. Uh, but Will has very kindly given me permission to read uh, the from the piece that he wrote about it um, a couple of days later um, on his site West Week Ever. So you know you can go read the full thing at westweekever.com. But here's a few kind of salient points from it right now. Even after the professional wrestling era of flashy costumes and ring names had passed, Mark Calloway was still suiting up as the dead man to give folks a show. While he's had a few false starts with retirement, last weekend his career was capped off with his induction into the WWE Hall of Fame. Even though it was Undertaker being inducted, it was Mark Calloway who gave the speech. He broke character and imparted the life lessons he employed to endure in the industry for the past 30 years. While I haven't always agreed with the beliefs and ideals of Mark Calloway, I have to admit that he preached last Friday night, and the quote-unquote mental moves he suggested resonated with me. They include, number one, perception is reality. Number two, respect and loyalty go a long way. Number three, never be content. It's been a week and I'm still processing all that he said that night. As he's my favourite wrestler, I'd always told myself I'd be at that induction ceremony. Since he had done a few bait-and-switch retirements in the past, it was always hard to nail down when one was actually going to stick. Plus, there was a pandemic, so I didn't get to live out that dream. Still, though, I've got all the memories, and something tells me he just might not be done for good. After all, several wrestlers have parlayed a Hall of Fame induction into a second win for their in-ring career. I don't know how I'd feel about that here, but if he is done for good, then it was a good run, and he left us with some wisdom. That's why The Undertaker had the worst week ever. Thank you, Taker. And I think, you know, for all the complexities that both of us feel about Undertaker, I'd 
you know, I, I got to totally agree with Will here. So, you know, thank you again for being on the show, Will. Um, thank you to everyone who's listened and look forward to catching you on the next episode of Lupine Transmissions very soon.